Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Will Ainsworth here um, on behalf of Open Negotiation, Head of Growth and Training here, which I say every single episode, so surely you know what I do by now. Um, now, this episode of the Better Agent Series, we're going to be doing things just a little bit differently. Um, as you might have heard the news, uh, we have expanded now into the US, which is super exciting for all of us at Open and hopefully uh, the general public over in the US. So we thought it'd be great to pick the brains of our new Director of Operations for Open USA, Mr. Eric Bryant. Eric, thanks for joining us, mate. Hey, it's my pleasure, sir. And by the way, it is now Director of Operations North America. North America, okay. Because we're jumping into Canada now that we're part of the uh, the Canadian REACH program. You're exactly right. Well said. And uh, that is some, some super exciting news that we brought out uh, earlier in the week. How good is that? Fantastic. It's fantastic. It is. Um, now, Eric, you and I have spoken uh, in the past. I gave you a little bit of a rundown on open from uh, an agent's point of view, and um, you taught me a little bit about how you think it will work in America. But before we get into that sort of um, part of the episode, just love you to give us a bit of a synopsis of your career to date um, and uh, why you chose to take this role at Open. So let's start with your career. How have you come to be where you are now? Uh, it was a long and winding road to get to to get to where I am, or or maybe uh, the Grateful Dad would say, "What a strange trip it's been." Um, but I I was a uh, a single father of three and living in the Bay Area in Northern California. And I didn't think I could handle, I was working at the time for um, Pacific Bell, which is now AT&T. And I didn't think I could handle three kids in an environment like that. So I wanted to move them to what was known as the Central Valley in California. It's a much, I guess, farmland, much slower lifestyle. I figured it would be a little easier, but I could not get um, the uh, transfer through the powers that be at Pacific Bell. So I actually had to leave that company, which was very difficult for me. And I started my own business in the in the Central Valley. Uh, I bought a, a little company that was basically doing flyers and business cards for real estate agents, you know, printing them up it was called Flyers for You. Uh, and I turned it into a digital focused, digitally focused company. So we started to do more um, uh, videos and pictures and um, websites and blogs and things of that nature. And that's how I entered into the real estate space. That led to um, a job with a, a broker in the Central Valley, I had 15 offices with, with a brand called Prudential back then, which is now Berkshire Hathaway, which you may have heard of. Yeah. Got basically was the, um, uh, you know, the, the technology director of technology there. So designing their websites and, and IDX sites and things of that nature, all of that stuff that I had done um, with my company. And then that led to a consulting gig. So I went out and started working with a number of brands and I was basically known as the coach. So a lot of things, if you look up my LinkedIn or if you, uh, if you talk to people, you know, my, my AKA is the coach because not only did I do that through my kids' entire sports careers from the age of seven to 18, but I also did it in the industry. And I was basically, I was responsible to help agents and brokers understand this wash of technology that was coming at them and how to use it properly, what the features, advantages, and benefits of it were, and what they, you know, what they didn't understand. We trained them, we put together curriculums, and uh, then we moved on uh, to the next brand. So I actually was, I did that for a little over 20 years. 
just yeah. independently consulting with the with the, the major brands, brokers, actually large teams in the USA. We have a lot of large teams of agents, right? They really control a number of the transactions. Um, so I did that. And then um, uh, I was with First American. Uh, that's a, a large uh, title company in the United States, but it also has a data and analytics uh, uh, extension. And I was uh, working in there. So I was basically providing nationwide property ownership and public record data to uh, all of the vendors and MLSs and, and anyone who needed that particular piece of data. So it was wide ranging. Um, I, I met the guys, I met Gibbo and Dunk at, um, uh, at, while I was at First American, we were providing them with some data that they were looking at. And the conversations obviously went well because here I am yeah. <laughs> as, <laughs> as the director of operations, bringing a product to the United States, but I'm super excited about it. I can't, I can't even tell you. I mean, I was, it was a wonderful job, wonderful company, lovely people. Uh, but what I was doing didn't get me up in the morning and get me excited. Um, this gets me up every morning, sometimes really early because you're 15 hours ahead of me, uh, which is kind of crazy. Sometimes I'm up at 4 or 5 a.m. and then I'm talking to, to everybody at 9 p.m. because it's noon over there. So, yeah, um, but it gets me up every morning and I have a smile on my face and I can't wait to I can't wait to get to work. Awesome. And, and I know you've sort of just alluded to it, but if we can divulge a little bit more what what was it that excited you about the open um brand um and the open product that decided what made you decide to make such a big change because you obviously 20 years is a long time to be doing something you clearly enjoyed that um what was the major difference or why did you make the change okay so you you got you're gonna hear this word over and over again right and you, I know that in Australia, you talk about it constantly as the, the heartbeat of the product, but it's the transparency that got me. Yeah. And it's for two reasons. Number one, because I have been in this industry for so long and I have dealt with um, the, the black holes that is you know, information in the United States. And I know it's time for transparency. I think the consumers are really starting to push for it here. Um, there's even, there's even um, issues between the industry, the real estate industry and the Department of Justice over here. Department of Justice has really taken a, a look at the industry to determine what what they're doing that might be a little suspect. And keeping information from people is part of that process, part of that problem. Um, secondly, I, I have six kids, one of which is married with a, a one of my young grandchildren. They These they are perfectly qualified to buy a, to purchase a home, good income, good credit, but they had some real difficulties doing it. And every time she would have a problem, she'd call me up and she'd be crying about it. I'd say, what happened? And she would tell me, well, they didn't accept our offer. I go, why? They didn't tell us. And that's the problem, the system over here. And I'm, I don't know if I'm, I think it's somewhat like this in Australia the system over here currently hides this, these details, this information, and it needs to be out there. It needs to be transparent so that buyers understand that when they want a house, they have an equal shot. They have a shot at getting that house. There's no backdoor stuff. There's no underhanded stuff. It's all in front of them. And then we won't have kids like my daughter crying because they really wanted that house. It was in the school district that they wanted. 
and they could not get it and they didn't know why. And then they said that they said they, they had that quote that everybody hates to hear. If I would have known, I would have offered 20,000 more. It's it's so it was it's really a problem that hits home for me and at the same time knowing what I know about the industry, it is absolutely 100% time for this industry to start opening up. It is and so well said and What's also sad, and yes, your daughter's crying, and I, you know, I feel for her because it's she's not an isolated story there. It's, it's happening all the time. But the vendors as well. If your daughter would have paid twenty thousand more, isn't that the vendor's right to be able to have that twenty thousand? And isn't that the agent's fault for not being able to actually transact the property for a higher figure whilst keeping the buyers happy? I mean, to me, real estate is forget the agent for a second. It's about the seller getting as much as possible and the buyer having an equal opportunity to pay as much as possible. That's exactly right. If I, if I really want a house, there's no reason why I can't get it. If, you know, if, if I drop out because of the, the amount or maybe terms and conditions could have a factor in it, then I drop out, but I do it on my own yeah. and I can live with that. I can deal with that. But when somebody else tells me, oh, sorry, you just didn't get it. And then I find out sometimes that the, the, the home sold for you know, a number I would have paid more for. It's it's sad to think that because, as you said, now the seller suffers, right, or the vendor and uh, uh, over there. So, yeah. um, because do, when do you know you really get highest and best? Which is what our crazy agents over here use as their tactic for trying to drive up the price of the product or get more money or you know maybe have somebody make a mistake and give them more. And it's just so it's so icky. It just, yeah. it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, yeah. And really the highest and best is what, you know, 10 people tell you the highest and best is by getting into the product, making their offers, moving up to where they, where they, uh, where they basically figure out they can't go any farther. Now you have the data, the information to really say to yourself, I got highest and best. Yeah. Um, now, I know we've just touched on it, but, um, and I imagine they're fairly similar, but what are some of the challenges that agents face over in the US these days? They're, them, themselves? Yeah. They're, they're, they, are, they are, you know, first of all, they're deathly afraid of change. And I know that that's a human trait, but it really comes out um, in our industry. And the, the walls that they used to have as protection are, are coming down around them. Technology is just, streamlining the process uh, and breaking down those barriers. I mean, I, I'm still old enough to remember. I don't know if you had these in Australia. I wouldn't doubt it. We had a book that came to the real estate office once a week. And in that book were the new listings in that marketplace. Is that right? You would, you would open the book and you would go through the pages in the book and you see one picture and then the characteristics of the home and the homeowner information. It was literally, and you would go through the pages. And so people had to come to the real estate office to do this. So nobody knew what was for sale. We didn't have all of these portals and places to go and the information on the internet. So that was a time where you you had to have a real estate agent. So it was all justification for commissions and payments and money and all that stuff. Well, that all changed. So when over here, the challenge is breaking down whatever wall they have left to hide behind yeah that's the hard part but it's so but it's so refreshing to see the industry doing that 
right? And the numbers used to be, I live in an 80-20 world, right? Used to be 80% wanted to hide things and 20% wanted it open. Now it's the other way. It's 80% who want the consumer to have all of that and provide us a level of service that gains them repeat business over and over again. So if we can get out of our own way here, we're going to be uber successful. And I think it does come down to agents feel technology is going to replace them. And if they, if they, if they change in any way and they allow the technology to become part of what they do, they feel it will be what they are. But that's not mm-hmm. the case at all. It's an enabling tool. We will never be replaced. Real estate is a human to human element. There's emotion involved that computers up until what I know now can't, can't do. I mean, AI at some stage down the track might be able to do that. But at this point in time, if you and I want to transact a piece of real estate, you need to understand what I want emotionally and um, on paper and fundamentally, and only humans can do that. I, I 100% agree with you. I don't think for one minute that it, you know uh, the professionals will be intermediated. I think that things will change. You know, roles will change, um, but there's no way we're gonna we're gonna get to a point where it's you know, without human contact, it just can't, it, you know, I, I'm certainly not going to be here when that takes place, <laughs> if that takes place. Yeah, yeah, neither. Uh, now, auctions, uh, as you're probably aware, they're really popular in Australia. We love the theatre of it. Mm-hmm. We love street um, entertainment, so to speak. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm aware that it's just not really the case in the US. Can you sort of explain why that is? Yeah, um, I think that um, auction just got a bad word over here, a bad rap. And it hasn't been able to shake it off yet. So auctions were something that was held on a courtroom step and it was for distressed properties, right? Here, get your foreclosures here, you know. Hey, yeah. get your foreclosure here, get your foreclosure. Um, and it was for, you know, property that was condemned and uh, they were sold in groups and all that kind of stuff. So auction here is going to have to go through a transition before it's accepted and uh, get, get away from the you know, the court steps and and the distressed property thing. Uh, our offer process, right? We you What you call um, private treaty, we call offer and acceptance. Yeah. Our offer and acceptance process has auction-like pieces to it towards the end, right? Towards the end of the offer and acceptance, that's when the last little bit of struggle on the price is going to happen. It just takes place in a very manual fashion right now. Whereas bringing this product to the U.S., we're going to automate that, streamline it, um, automatize it, as Mike says, so that you know it, it can be safely done. I mean, consider, uh, what was it, like two weeks ago, over there in Australia, you guys had a property that had 65 buyers offering on it. Yeah. Can you imagine if you tried to do that? In a manual fashion, you know, we get a FedEx offer here, you get an email offer there, you get a drop off here. And you've got a, in, in the United States, I'm not sure if it's the same again, but it's required through the code of ethics and legally to present every offer to the seller. The, the, yeah. sell, the agent representing the seller must present every offer. Can yeah. you imagine that? And counter offers. So you got 65 people going back and forth. There's no way. No way you can safely say that that agent followed through on all 65. So now we've got technology and we're going to make it better and better, faster, stronger. Um, And the process itself, when you add the transparency part, then you've really got the winner. 
So what you've just said to me, you effectively are running the open process but just manually. Is that um, yeah. in, a, in a very succinct way, is that kind of or a short and brief way, is that how it is over there? Yeah. I would, yeah. you know, if you, if you were going to just, you know, put it in a nutshell, it's really that's the way we do it. I mean, it's it just it's crazy because we're automating so much of the transaction. And then you have this circle that needs to be completed. And right now it's open right here. Open. I, that's nice. I'm going to use that, by the way. <laughs> it's open right here where offer management needs to be. And we close that off, complete the circle. That's when it's really, you know, that's going to be some fun days right there. It is. So um, uh, in Australia, even though agents were screaming out for this, and you touched on it before, human beings innately don't like change. I think it's a fear or whatever it might be. So it took a little while for agents to go, oh, right, and the penny drop, and they go, oh, actually, this is an enabling tool and it's going to allow me to do more transactions in a more efficient way and transparent, everything that we already know. So um, I just don't understand. I just want to know how um, technology is going to actually help the agents whilst they're not going to steer away from it and say, I'm too scared of this change. Like, how is it going to, how is the American market going to take to open? Uh, I think the American market is going to react similarly to the Australian market. I think there's going to be a, a level of adoption and then it's going to be a hockey stick, right? I think you, you're kind of seeing that hockey stick now over the last 12 months, probably. We may get there a little quicker because we've now gone through um, the COVID nightmare that the world has gone through. Uh, and we've also got um, 1.4 million realtors, which are licensed real estate agents who subscribe to a membership group called NAR, right? We also have 700,000 real estate agents who do not subscribe to NAR, but do carry a real estate license. So we've got over 2 million agents where, if I'm not mistaken, Australia has somewhere in the neighborhood of 40,000. Correct. Yes. So we'll we'll move quicker because the trans, number of transactions will force us to move quicker. I think last year was 6.3 million transactions in the U.S., residential transactions. Here we go. So that's going to... It's like the Olympics all over again. You're telling us how many gold medals you've won, yet our population isn't as big as yours. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you know, when you got it, flaunt it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Um, <laughs> now, speaking of, and I'm uh, a bit reluctant to ask this question, I'm going to. Um, there is a bit of a saying in Australia that um, we are a little bit behind the USA as far as um, technology is concerned. Um, I disagree with that, but anyway, that's what most people are saying. So what... What are some technologies or tools that have come into play over the last, call it, 12 months that have really shaken up the game? I mean, other than open, of course, um, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. market. Is there anything that you can touch on there? Sure. Um, but I might argue that we're, we're here today talking about the fact that you already did something and you're bringing it to us in the United States. So maybe we're not that far ahead of you, <laughs> uh, at least not in offer management. That's for dang sure, because there's nothing yeah. like this in the yeah. U.S. Um, yeah, I think what's hot right now, uh, showing software is really on fire. So it's basically a software where the consumer can schedule their own showings uh, or open house type, you know, showings. Um, they can uh, go online, go on their phone, um, or sometimes go right from the listing itself on the MLS or on Zillow or other places like that, where they can just schedule a showing and uh, and and get there. 
Um, anything that has to do with the transaction itself is really hot. Again, we're talking about that complete circle of a digital um, transaction. Uh, so anything in that respect is going to uh, get a look at at this point in time. There's some. There's a lot of good things happening around um, monetary exchange. So whether that's the what we call it, the earnest money deposit, which is the deposit at the very beginning of the transaction when you show that when the buyer shows that they're serious about um, offering on the house, that's always been you have to write a check. <laughs> I mean, seriously, up until about two years ago, you had to write a check. Is that and right? Drop it off at the escrow agent's um, office, and escrow for us, title and escrow is um, kind of what the you know the, the coordinator of all of the paperwork. I think you guys use uh, some, uh, what, what is it called, Will? Solicitor? Uh, yeah, we use a solicitor or conveyancer. There you go. There yeah. you go. So uh, I'm learning every day. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, intermediary, um, intermediary intervention is really getting big. So bringing in a one-click opportunity to do things within the transaction uh, like insurance right yes so at the end of the process at the end of the open process right when we've got an, uh, a home awarded to uh, a buyer they can literally click on a button and get their homeowner insurance right there that's yeah. an, a, what we call an intermediary into the process there's also they could get a home inspection the same way but that one click intermediary is really starting to take hold too yeah, it really surprises me that, you know, real estate is one, the real estate agent or a realtor is one part of the entire transaction. You need a removalist, someone to handle the legal parts of it, the money exchange, the finance. There's so yeah. many subsidiaries or, or whatever, the intermediary, I think you said, of yeah. real estate. And I think the first people to start to add all of those pieces of the puzzle will probably be, and I don't want to call them the winners, but they're the people that, <laughs> as a... As a consumer, I want to go to someone that can do the whole thing. I don't want to have to, you know, it's hard enough as it is. I just want someone who can handle the entire transaction for me, and I'm probably prepared to pay a bit more for that. I would agree. Um, I, I would have a, I would have a similar feeling at that point. Now, um, over here, we've got the John McGraths and the Gavin Rubensteins of the world who, uh, who? Everyone, everyone looks up to. And <laughs> I <laughs> thought it uh, was you. I thought everybody looked up to Will. No, 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 not at no. all. I tell my kids I'm famous, and that's about it. Um, well, they're lying to me then because they said you're the most famous agent in Australia. <laughs> I don't know who they're. I mean, maybe that's because they pay me to do the job, but uh, they probably have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, who would be your equivalent over there in the USA? Who are your sort of influences and people that, that everyone follows? Um, uh, Tom Ferry comes to mind. Yeah, uh, he's the son of Mike Ferry, who, who was a longtime influencer and kind of retired at this point. But Tom, Tom does a lot of work with uh, the major brands in the U.S. Um, Rob Hahn, also known as the Notorious Rob, um, big the big influencer, a lot of podcasts and blog type stuff for him. Plus, he does an enormous amount of consulting with MLSs. Um, has a legal background. He was a lawyer. Um, Spencer Raskoff, who's the former CEO of Zillow, he now runs a, um, a VC group for real estate technology called 75 and Sunny. Um, he also started another company called Picasso, 
which is um, uh, basically fragmented or um, what am I trying to say? Fragmented ownership of second uh, of vacation properties. So you can buy a portion of the vacation property, not like a timeshare, but you literally buy a portion of the home. So you can share in the equity and all that kind of stuff. Um, so sharing the home with seven other people kind of thing. Are you, are you own a percentage of it as opposed to actually saying, I own that uh, letterbox and the front fence and you guys own the garage? Exactly. Yeah. You, you yeah. legally own you know one eighth of the property or whatever it is that you want to yeah. purchase. Wow. And then there's a bunch of groups. Um, we got a bunch of groups that kind of do the influence, uh, 1,000 Watt, 7DS, the you know groups of people who team together, take their core competencies and work together. Yeah. Okay. So um, just changing tack a little bit, you've um, obviously with the, the pandemic, real estate has changed a lot and it was not that anyone wanted this at all and I'm not dismissing the, the chaos um, and the sadness behind it, but it has kind of forced everyone in every industry for that matter to make change fairly quickly to adapt and, and keep up with things. How have you yeah. found the real estate industry has changed in America in the last 18 months due to the pandemic? It's that digital transaction. Um, everyone's looking to, and again, we talked about that piece of pie kind of looks like, uh, what was that trivia game? Trivial pursuit. Yes. Do you ever ever play that? Right. Trivial pursuit. You had to fill the piece of the pie and and you ended up winning. We're living trivial pursuit for the digital real estate transaction. We're filling those sections of the pie until we have a full pie, then we win. Um, so we're getting there. Right. And obviously we're going to make sure that everybody puts offer management as a piece of pie in that in that whole pie. Um, but really it's the it's the end-to-end digitization of the process so that um I said earlier I have six kids. They range from 25 to 35 or so. Um they're 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 gonna buy homes on their phone. Just you know it's just the way it is. And they're gonna do a lot of the visualization work on some kind of a, a, a digital unit. They're gonna do it on an iPad, they're gonna do it on their phone. The The process needs to be able to handle that if they want to uh, stay up with that, with that demand and that growth in, in the millennials and, and the younger generations. But I have, I said I had three grandchildren. I don't know what it was, but maybe it was a year, a year and a half before they had a tablet in their hand, an electronic tablet. Sure, it, it just made sounds and, and and showed some cute pictures, but it was just the training began so early to do these things. So they're not going to accept it. They've become the largest purchasing group uh, or generation here in the United States, uh, the millennials, and the, the group behind them is coming fast. So if we didn't do this, and the pandemic really kind of pushed it because all of a sudden nobody could write a check and bring it into the escrow office for earnest money right yeah you couldn't do it because the the, the it was closed off you can't go you got to be masked you got to have a hazmat suit on you know yeah. you could so we had to figure it out and they had to accept the fact that electronic you know means were going to come in so uh the pandemic for all of its craziness and and hurtfulness did do something to change the way we transact in real estate and actually change the way we exchange assets uh, throughout the world. Yeah, absolutely. And well said. Um, now, I, I'm no expert, but I do dabble in cryptocurrency just a little bit. Um, Good man. Had, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got a bit of a passion for uh, for blockchain, and I've had to listen to about five or six different podcasts to finally get my head around it. So good luck explaining it now. But uh, what is a blockchain first and foremost, and is it going to tie into real estate at some stage? Um, yes. It, it, I'll, I'll answer the easy one first. It's absolutely going to tie into real estate. It's already tying into real estate. Now, the, the really hard question, what's a blockchain? <laughs> um, a, a blockchain is really, it's a technology. It's an underlying technology. Um, most people are hearing the words Bitcoin, right? And cryptocurrency, and they're mistakenly thinking that's blockchain. But blockchain is the underlying technology that allows Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies to exist. It need, One needs the other to exist. Well, that underlying technology is called also called digital ledgers. And if you could picture a file cabinet that's been digitized, where every file is in perfect order and completely secure, you would kind of have a blockchain because each one of those files gets linked to the next one, gets linked to the next one. That's the chain. So figure a block of information being linked to the next block of information using a chain. That's why it's called blockchain. Each one of those blocks is impenetrable. It protects every piece of data within it so that its access is then permissioned by the the blockchain itself. So you can set the permissions. Only this person can see or do this. And it's all controlled by what's called a smart contract, which is just software. It's a software that's that kind of does what we call if this, then that functionality. If this happens, then you do that. And you can kind of picture like a like a, a traffic cop in the middle of a busy intersection in India or something, and he's you know, moving cars. And that's what a smart contract does. It just moves information as quickly and as efficiently as, as possible in this block that's chained to another one. And the security is really what makes it golden. It, in my opinion, it will be the piece of the internet. We bolted on the technology is bolted onto the internet that is in play with any exchange of assets anywhere in the world. And it's because it's so damn safe that right now, bringing it back to real estate in the US, 20% of the transactions have some kind of um, fraud associated with it or some kind of electronic theft, right? Hacking, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Some of them to the point where the entire home is lost by the buyer because it was basically digitally stolen from them. Really? Blockchain takes, yeah, blockchain takes that away. It uses a, I don't want to bore anybody here, but it uses a hashing system where that first block gets this long character hash. You've seen them before. They're like 64 characters and all different numbers and and symbols. Well, that's associated with the one block. Then when you add the next block, it gets another one and then changes the block before it. And that continues. So if you want to hack a blockchain, you have to hack every block and you have to do it before the next block is added to change all of the hashes. Because it'll once it changes it, all your... All your information is gone. So the, the the system itself is extremely safe and it's where you want to exchange assets. So real estate being the you know the largest asset that anyone can have normally, mm-hmm. um, it, it needs to be on the blockchain. It needs to be protected. 
Um, and the use of things like smart contracts can really assist with the escrow process by saying, if this piece of paper comes in, send it, send a copy to these people, and it just automatically does it. Uh, digital ID is probably one of the areas that is going to be so incredible because you and I have a have a financial background that has to be exposed in a typical real estate transaction to people that you know we might not want them to know. What we want them to know is I am able to purchase this house financially. That's all you need to know. And it needs, as long as you're comfortable and secure and trust the fact that all of my digital information goes in a digital wallet and all I can give the access and permissions to who I want to. And those that access and those permissions can uh, either say yes or no to the purchase of a home. And then I'm protecting all of my data in that wallet. I decide who sees what and when um, as a consumer, as a buyer in this case. So digital digital identification is 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 huge, and there's a lot of people working on it right now with, you know, loans, uh, the the lending side, the broker side. It'll it'll be a lot of fun, but blockchain um, itself, yeah, big big time, baby. Best explanation I've heard. So uh, well done. It's actually best. Yeah, yeah. It's tied it all back in because the part where you were talking about the sixty four numbers on the line all changing when another block's added. I didn't know that piece. And I knew a little bit about the more blocks there are, the more secure it gets for obvious reasons, but I didn't know why. So what you've just, um, you've just filled in the gaps for me anyway. Um, So just a quick question around this uh, digital security part. So I um, sold a house, about to buy one. My mortgage broker rings me up and says, Will, how much do you earn? What was your last tax um, thing? How much, how many dependents have you got? What, what are your weekly expenses? What are your credit cards? All that sort of stuff. Is that what you're saying will be attached to this um, digital wallet that I can just yep. say, Here, here's my information? Yes. So basically, you'll have a digital wallet on your probably on your phone is where we'll keep it. Um, it'll have a connection to Experian is a, is a credit reporting bureau here in the US. So it'll have a connection to my section in Experian to show them what my FICO scores are. Um, it'll have a connection to my bank so that they can query um, whether or not my bank holds a certain amount of money or, or in an area. Um, it'll have a connection to a company that does verification of income, verification of employment, verification of assets, all brought into this digital wallet. And it'll really just be, I mean, it won't be this simple, but just for the purpose of this conversation, it'll be green and red right? Green means go, red means no. And that'll, so anybody who comes in, they'll just look at each section, verification of employment, it's green, right? So I know that this, you know, this person is employed, you know, red, green, red. So it'll be a very simple process eventually, um, but it basically will hold all of our data, everything about us. And right now, where is that data? It's out on the internet. It's everywhere. It's hackable. So we need to protect our data. I mean, we've seen enough of stuff with social media um, and big companies like Apple and uh, Microsoft, and they just got way too much control of our data. We need to take that back. And so digital identification will do that, but it will also make the process of purchasing things, in this case, a home, a hell of a lot easier. 
And then further into the future, we'll walk around with a little green or red light above our heads for people to yes. have someone you should speak to. Or that yep. steer clear of that bloke. Right next to the barcode. <laughs> yeah. Barcode here, a QR yeah. code, right? <laughs> we're see- we're actually seeing it now. I don't know if you guys have it over there, but we have this um, company called Clear. Clear was um, part of the uh, uh, the airport's security system, right? It was like uh, TSA pre. You got a clear pass, and you were you get, went in that line way over there with nobody in it, and just got to walk right through because you had this clear pass. You opened up your phone, it showed all your information, and it was either pulse it would pulse green or red, really? and that meant let him go or don't let him go. Well, we have clear now for COVID. So when I just got back from an event this weekend that was the BNP tennis matches in Palm Springs, and they used Clear to admit you in to yeah. the event. You had to show them, and it was, you know, the green was pulsating, so they knew it wasn't a, a screen capture, right? Yeah. It was moving. Yeah. Um, and that meant you you had either been vaccinated or tested negative or whatever it was that was a requirement, and you could come in. That's digital identification. Definitely. So. Again, pandemic pushes something that um, we really need just a little faster. Yeah, right. That's, uh, yeah, very interesting. Um, Now, this is a question I ask every single uh, interviewee. Um, We are called the Better Agent uh, podcast for a reason. So what's your one holy grail (laughs) tip for anyone listening who wants to be a better agent? Well, selfishly, since I've been a coach my entire um, career in in this industry, I would say empowering yourself through education. Don't just dig, read something, read every day, read a book, a blog, a website, um, anything that you can possibly do to educate yourself. You're being inundated with technology. It's coming at you, as they say, like water through a fire hose. You have to try to understand it. Don't just poo-poo it and push it aside. Educate yourself. Learn something. Get involved in the technology. Then make your own decisions, certainly. But don't don't stop teaching yourself, learning. Um, I'm not saying go out and, and get a coach like I was. I'm saying pick up a book or go to a blog or go to a website. Learn something because this our industry is evolving. There's no doubt about it. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to evolve much quicker now than it ever did. And that's just the way life works, right? Phones get better. You know, the internet gets bigger. Uh, technologies get faster and stronger. And they do it so much quicker than, you know, we don't have to wait 100 years for the printing press anymore. It doesn't work that way. It's just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And if, you, if you're not on top of your education and really providing the professional service that the consumer demands right now, being that local expert, I mean, really being it, not no, no BS. I mean, get down, get yourself trained, get yourself educated. That's the best thing I can, I can offer anybody. Yeah. Just pick up a book, man. It's okay. <laughs> pick up a book. I like it. Uh, it seems so simple, but it's just so effective and so obvious. Yeah. Now, um, given When's uh, your book coming out? <laughs> it's not. It's no. Not. No, no, no. I'll stick to the podcast and maybe they can put that into a book at some stage, but uh, I'll, I'll leave it here. Thank you for asking. 
Now, um, I want to have a bit of fun with, I usually do a rapid fire quiz with um, most of my interviewees at the end. Um, But today, given you're American and I'm Australian, I thought I'd sort of take the piss a little bit. There's some Aussie slang for you right there. Take the piss. Yeah, take the piss. Um, I want to to test your knowledge on Aussie slang. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to throw some lines at you and I want you to tell me what you think they mean. Oh, my God. All right. Let's go. Ready? Here we go. Yeah. Wouldn't mind some snags. Um, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. What are snags? Um, like snacks, maybe? They're sausages. Are they sausages? Yeah, okay. yeah. A snag is a sausage. So wouldn't mind some snags, wouldn't mind a sausage. I was, I was first going to a really bad place with that one, so... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. It turned out to be sausage. <laughs> Putting in hard yakka. Putting in hard yakka. Um, I'd say getting down to work. Correct. Hard work. Yep. Oh. Good one. Good job. Can you chuck that in the esky? Um, can you throw that away? Do you know what an esky is? I, I was thinking it was a garbage can, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a portable fridge. So it's like a container that's insulated and you put ice in it with your beers and you a cooler. Yeah, yeah, cooler. That's yeah, that's what it is. Can you chuck that in the esky means can you put those beers in the esky? Put those well, if you said chuck the beer in the esky, I might have figured that out. Yeah, well there you go. Wouldn't mind a couple of frothies. Uh I'd love a couple of beers. Correct. Well done. I'll take a squeeze. Oh God. Um <laughs> not, not to be mistaken with I'll take a whiz. Oh, I thought I thought that was the same thing. Um, uh, I'll take I'll a squeeze. Th- um, I'll take a shot at something. I'll take a look. I'll take a look. Yeah. I'll take a squiz. Okay. Yeah, I'll take a squeeze. Fair dinkum, eh? Fair what? Fair dinkum, eh? Fair dinkum. Uh, nice day. Like you're serious? Like oh. that sort of asking you fair income, eh? Like, are you serious about that? Oh, okay. Well, now that you now that you enunciated it that way, <laughs> fair income, eh? You know, I get it now. Uh, uh, can you chuck a Yui here? Oh man, can you can you throw the ball to me? <laughs> a Yui is when you do a U turn. You know, when you go around the road, uh-huh. so you're going one way, and you want to—that's a U turn. <laughs> I should I should have got that one. It was so close. A Yui. A Yui. And my last one is, yeah, he's true, Blue. Um, he's a really good guy. Correct. Exactly right. Well done, mate. That is uh that is those eight questions. I think you got three or four. So um the, the I don't rest- think I got any, tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> the rest we'll have to work on. I did uh we're doing some work with a um an American company, as you know, a UX company, um, to make our um our open users have a better experience and uh one of them said, oh, have you had your cup of joe? And I was like, what are you talking about? So I've had to learn a little bit of American slang about a cup of joe. So that's a cup of coffee, is it? It sure is. Yeah. So it's only been a month for me, though, you know, so I, I got to have a little more time to get this done. You do. You do. So that brings us to, uh, to the end of the interview, Eric. I've absolutely loved this. I've learned a fair bit from you. So um, that's what it's all about. And I'm sure our listeners will do the same. It is so good to have you on board. We're so excited and open to be branching to the US, but uh, more importantly, it's about people, in my opinion, and you are one of the finest. So thank you for 
for joining us. And we uh, oh, you're so kind, uh, sir. I think all about mate. I'm a true blue Aussie, that's for sure. He's true blue. I like it. (laughs) Uh, Good on you, Eric. Thanks very much, mate. I look forward to seeing you soon.